content warning. The following episode includes discussion of trauma, mental illness, and sexual assault, including the sexual abuse of children. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, listeners. This is Jay. And in this episode of Potstirer Podcast, I'm having a conversation with Emily English Medley, the author of the novel From the Moon I Watched Her. This is truly an excellent book, and it really captivated my attention from the very beginning. This novel was engaging, and I couldn't put it down. I wholeheartedly recommend it. And I'm happy to announce that courtesy of Emily and her team, a Potstar Podcast listener will receive a free copy of From the Moon I Watched Her, signed by Emily herself. To enter this giveaway, all you have to do is go on Twitter to my Twitter feed, at PotstirrerCast, and any time between this episode's release and Friday, September 9th, 2022, at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, like and retweet the pinned post. That's it. Like and retweet the pinned post on Twitter at PotstirrerCast by September 9th, and you will be entered to win a signed copy of this book. U.S. residents only. In this episode, Emily and I discuss From the Moon I Watched Her, and you'll get a feel for why this novel is real, raw, deep, and timely. And also, why you should take the opportunity to read it. Enjoy. I am your host, Jay Poole, and this is Potstirrer Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Potstirrer Podcast, where politics, religion, and history collide. And it's not always polite. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, author Emily English Medley. Emily is the author of the novel From the Moon I Watched Her. From the Moon I Watched Her was named by BuzzFeed as one of the 10 books you need to add to your reading list. And it's a coming of age tale about the skeletons that lurk under church pews and the little girl who goes looking for them and finds them. Welcome, Emily. Thank you. I I really appreciate you joining me. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. My understanding is that From the Moon I Watched Her is your first book. That's right. So could you share a little bit about your background and what led you to become an author to begin with? Um, So my background is actually in nursing. (laughs) I'm a nurse practitioner and I have a background in women's health and I have a background in doing some writing, um, just very like a couple of articles that I have penned under pen names and things like that. But I had a story that was in my heart that has just was kind of just in me that needed to come out. So um, it just got to a point in my life where the timing was right and the planets kind of aligned and it was just time to put it on paper. And and what made you decide on this as your subject matter? So every author writes what they know. Mm -hmm. 
So um, I have, I grew up in the Church of Christ and um, I know everything about the Church of Christ. Um, so I wrote about what I know. That That's fair. Um, I think a lot of times when we create, I haven't written a novel. I've thought about writing writing books at a certain point, and I'm, there's a couple of things I'm, I'm sort of working on on the side that one day hopefully will come to some kind of fruition. But yeah, I, I would definitely agree in terms of like, you know, you tend to lean towards what you know. And even with this podcast, I have a PhD in political science, but then I decided to go into the private sector after I was finished with my dissertation, after I earned my degree. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to make a long story short, um, I wanted to find a way to use that as, to kind of use my degree like, sort of as an outlet. Politics is sort of in my blood. <laughs> um, my dad was involved in the civil rights movement. So was my grandmother. And then growing up, my dad was um, really big into um, like he ran and ran for political office a couple of times. He never won. But, you know, but as a little kid, I was around politics and all of that. And so it's sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And so it, basically the podcast had become, you know, became an outlet for me as far as that. And then also the religious piece. Like I became an evangelical as an adult, like as in college. And my evangelical background was um, more Pentecostal. So like Assemblies of God, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So it's, it's a bit different than Church of Christ. But there are there are some things that sort of overlap a little bit. So it's actually all the same, right? Like <laughs> fanaticism is fanaticism. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Systems are systems. And. Um, you know, they may vary by a few different things. We may have different ways of kind of solidifying our martyrdom and showing that, but, um, they're, they're all the same, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always like, you know, there's always like the sort of the small details and, you know, okay, we, we're more into A than B and this is what differentiates us from them. But at the end of the day, yes, you're, you're all right. Like there is that, there's that high control. There's that like, okay, it's us. And then there's everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> Exclusivity. <laughs> yeah, definitely. When talking about the novel itself, how would you describe From the Moon I Watched Her in maybe a couple sentences? So From the Moon I Watched Her is literary fiction. It is really true to the genre of literary fiction. It is not contemporary fiction. So there's not a tight plot line. I do not spoon feed the reader in any way. Um, I don't wrap up an ending in a bow. It is not for the masses. <laughs> it's for a niche audience. Um, it is a very disturbing book. It is a heavy book. It is a sad book. It is a book that requires a few uh, heart and brain cells, if you will. You know, interestingly, I wrote the book years before it was published. And I put it away throughout the entire presidency of Donald Trump <laughs> um, because I felt like the wasn't right to put out a book about a bunch of, like, frankly, white Southerners who had some moral dilemmas. I mean, I just 
kind of felt like the timing wasn't right for that. But honestly, the timing couldn't have been more perfect because um, the book is a buried abortion story. So From the Moon I Watched Her is like a glimpse. It's a glimpse, if you will. It's a glimpse into mental illness. It's a glimpse into the ramifications of family patterns and systems and, um, yeah, things like that. So Mm -hmm. when I read the book, that was one of the things that struck me is that there are so many themes that are wrapped up in there that are real themes. There's like perception versus reality. There was, you know, mental illness. There's trauma. Mm -hmm. And those are real things that people deal with. And it's not, it's not always simple. It's not always like everything is concrete. There's shades of gray. And then with the backdrop of church, of this church setting, that was a very high control church setting where on one hand, things are expected to be pretty black and white, but then mm-hmm. below the surface, there's a lot of mess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that was the thing that really struck me about it. And just I couldn't put it down because I was just like, OK, what's going on? Like, it's almost like a mystery, too, within mm-hmm. there as well. It's there's mystery embedded in there, too, trying to figure out what's real, what's not, mm-hmm. um, what's actually happening, what's going to happen next. And then there's stuff that happens sort of like real life. That like things happen that you don't expect. There's not necessarily anything that leads up to it. It's just like, oh, this happened. And then it's like the characters have to process that. Yeah. And, you know, okay. So actually like a literary tool that was purposeful because um, Stephanie is a little girl, right? Like I started it with a very, very young protagonist and Honestly, that was my son's idea. And he came up with that idea when he was like 11 years old. I was talking to him in the car. I'm like, I've got this book. I'm going to formulate these thoughts. And he was like, if you want to have a protagonist who in a lot of ways is like incapable of goodness, like a lot of people in, (laughs) in the, a lot of the characters in, in from the moon, I watched her like, just seem like they have insurmountable obstacles to being inherently good, right? He's like, if you want to create a protagonist like that, that the reader will identify with, you've got to create a protagonist with no hope. So that's why I started her out at such a young age, um, because I wanted to create a protagonist that, you know, was experiencing these things in real time. Nobody ever comes to Stephanie and tells her like, hey, this is wrong. Hey, this isn't how it's supposed to be. Like, this isn't how you're supposed to be protected. No. She she experiences every single bit of this in real time. So things like what's the truth? What's a lie? What's a what's a mirage? What's a not? You know, this is what it's like to love someone with a mental illness. When you love someone with a mental illness, and specifically if you're a child with a parent with a mental illness, because you're subject to to the truth that's given to you, right? And the time that people decide to give it to you. The book deals with um, elements of sexual abuse. And that's what sexual abuse is like. That's what it's like for many people. Not that everyone's experience is the same way, you know, or that there's one way to experience it. But oftentimes children have a lot of cognitive dissonance, like, oh, this is safe. It felt good. It felt happy. I was 
loved. This was my safe space. This was my safe space. Yeah. You know, so, mm-hmm. um, I know Stephanie goes through, I know it's very confusing to the reader, but I did it so that the reader could feel that for a minute. Yeah. Reading it. And it's like kind of seeing things through her eyes, just reading through some of these, some of these things myself and just feeling like, like, do I have this right? Wait, hold on a second, you know, and trying to kind of wrap my head around it as an adult, what this child was going through. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was, it, it's, it's, it's a hard, it's, a, it's not a beach read people. <laughs> yeah. This is not a read. This is you sit down with maybe a pen, right? Mm-hmm. And a really, really open heart. And just maybe kind of think, okay, there's art out there in the world, right? We see a lot of art. We read a lot of, but like, what is this, what is this writer trying to, uh, what is she trying to tell me? That's kind of how you have to approach this book and you have to approach it knowing that you're going to have to work, you know, work with me in it. I don't, I don't, uh, make it that easy. Yeah. And I would agree with you. I think it really is for people who critically think and who kind of want the challenge. I really enjoyed it. It ended up being different than even what I expected in a good way, though, you know, because it was just like there was so much going on, but it was like is very is true to life in that way. That's how life is. There's a lot of stuff that goes on and the way that we process things, maybe when we're younger, we look at it differently as we're as we're older. Yeah. And you know what I would say, like to the people who say, oh, the the back of the book is nothing about what the book is really about. I was expecting it to be about something else. And then it turned out to be this. Here, Here's what I would say. I challenge you, read, read the book. And then you write in 200 words or less a synopsis of this story. If you can do a better job than what's on the back of the book, send it to me. And I personally will buy you a cup of coffee <laughs> because it's really, it's really hard to sum back of the book in a way that's going to grab a reader's attention, get them to pick up your book. Because the, the point of writing something on the back of the book is to get someone hooked into buying it, right? Right. Um, so, you know, to that end, I would just say, yeah, it's just one of those things. You know, I put the book out there. Um, I had absolutely no expectations for the, for the book. I mean, I had my audience identified, not because I wanted to, but because I know who my audience would be. And I was like, you know, the right people are going to come across this book in the right time when they're ready to hear it. And that's all. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. One of the themes that you talk about is the idea of churches. Like you mentioned before, your background is Church of Christ. And that's also the church that is in the novel. But I think that a lot of high control churches, so a lot of fundamentalist churches, a lot of conservative evangelical churches can fall into this category. For sure. And yeah. Definitely. And, mm-hmm. and I think that this theme is something that is discussed a lot in exvangelical circles. Um, mm-hmm. so exvangelical meaning former evangelicals. Yeah. I classify myself as an exvangelical. Like that was my background for a long time. And that's like, I was really deep into that. And then 
I deconstructed. And, yeah. you know, and when people deconstruct, they deconstruct in different ways. And mm-hmm. they're, I don't even want to say an endpoint because I, I think it's really difficult to say like that, okay, you have an endpoint because I think it's, it's something that can be lifelong. But yeah, I mean, some people decide to remain Christian. Some people decide that they're going to leave the faith altogether. Maybe either join a different faith, become spiritual, or even stop believing in a higher power altogether. Mm-hmm. And so, in any case, with um, people in the evangelical community, a lot of times, one of the things that we that a lot of us talk about is that within a lot of these churches, they can oftentimes be more concerned with how they look as opposed mm-hmm. to what's actually happening within the church. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can see this with a lot of these sex abuse scandals that have been coming out in recent years, like the Southern Baptist Convention and several other denominations and churches with movements within evangelicalism that this has been happening quite a bit, especially with the Me Too and Church Too movements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the idea is that, okay, everything's fine as long as it doesn't become public, and especially when it comes to the men who are heading these churches. And generally speaking, it, you know, a lot of this involves men abusing power. I was just going to say, like, Jay, I will add to this and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Yeah. Um, this is against women and children. It is. Yes, it is. So not just little girls, but little boys mm-hmm. um, and, and women. This is straight up. Like, it doesn't matter Like if it's Church of Christ, Pentecostal, you know, any religious fundamental. It is the same. Not just evangelical Christianity, fanatic any any religious system but yeah church, i mean christianity definitely um there's some blame to go around and it's time you know i i think it's good that the southern baptist you know convention or whatever has come out and said okay we're the catholic church did we're not going to cover it up we're going to address it and we're going to at least try to speak to it good that's a good start you don't stop doing that um but this is straight up um against uh, against women and children yeah and the thing is is that for the sbc and like I've kind of followed this a, a little a bit, like on social media and everything. Mm-hmm. It's taken them a long time to get to that point. Long time. That's right. Yeah. But you know, and like the church is a, you know, the Church of Christ is a kind of a unique little sect of Christianity. But um, a couple of years, it was a long time ago, several years ago, there was a Church of Christ minister, and the wife <laughs> killed him. Oh, wow. right. And the media was like, oh, she's missing. She's gone. She's with her kids. You know, we, she is. There's a for And I'm thinking, she's not missing. She's not lost. She knows right where she is. <laughs> like, she, I mean, you know, Andrea Yates was the of Christ. Oh, okay. Andrea Yates was yeah. the of Christ. Which just, it just broke my heart into a million pieces. Because, I mean, like, and that was kind of right after uh, September 11th. Like, September 11th, like... Oh my God, it was tragic. It was horrible. And we all cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. But like, that was an act of war, right? Yeah. But, like when Andrew, when that happened with Andrea Yates, like I had to meet with my counselor, like on a weekly basis for like a year to try to get my mind around it, you know, because she loved her children. She loved her children. Like it was postpartum depression. It was postpartum psychosis. You know, she was 
homeschooling and subjugated and birthing. And, you know, I mean, I all of it, and it was, she was in the church of Christ. So it just hit so close to home. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of churches and wanting to keep their public image clean, focusing more on that than actually living what they're projecting. What do you think that says about the beliefs in churches like this? And do you think that there can be a lesson to take for both individuals that are involved in these churches and institutions in terms of how to better protect the vulnerable, like what you said, like women and children, particularly within these communities? Um, Well, first of all, I think, okay, I'm going to speak to people in churches, okay? Because I speak that language and I know what the scripture says. And I think that it's time for every person who calls themselves a Christian, and I'm going to speak to Christianity, not so much as like other religions. I'm going to speak to mainstream evangelical Christianity. It's time for anybody who calls themselves a Christian to just stop right now, wherever you are, put down what you're doing, put your pen down, put your keys down, stop, go to a mirror. I want you to look at yourself in the mirror and I want you to ask yourself if what you're living is congruent with what you really feel about the true nature of God. Is it close to the nature of God to claim exclusivity? Is it true to the nature of the law of love to disenfranchise people who are gay, who are uh, less than, you know, less than you might think that they are, people who have, you know, quote unquote sin in their life for, I mean, are you doing what you truly, truly believe is in the true nature of God? any more in 2022. And if you're not, and you're continuing to sit on the pews of those churches and you're continuing to participate in that, then you do, then you do believe that. And if you don't, then, and if you have come to the end of the runway, you have two choices. You can either stay in it or you have to leave. You have to leave because the message of disenfranchisement, the message of you know, women, subjugation of children, you know, I mean, being stoned to death. Like that was what my mother was raised being told, you know, I don't have to give you an explanation. I could take you out and stone you to death. I should take you out and stone you to death. Now, my mom didn't, I mean, we weren't raised that way, but like biblically speaking, you should be able to take your child out and stone them to death. But we don't do that anymore. We don't do that anymore. We've evolved, right? So if you believe that the nature of God is that the nature of God is good and the nature of God is love um, and that and that God is is love, um, then we have to believe that the love of God is supernatural and that that the scriptures can be taken in the context of when they were written, of when they were written, in the in the time frame that they were written by the people that they were written. Um, and I just think it's time to I think it's time to take a really hard look at what the American churches are doing. And honestly, if there's anything salvageable, uh, just honestly, if there's anything salvageable, if there's even one thing relevant anymore in mainstream Christianity, I I would like to know what it would be. That's very well said. I think that that's something that 
especially as I've personally deconstructed, and I've talked about this a lot on the podcast as well, how the question is like, is American Christianity especially, and, and I can, sp- and I'm speaking to what I know. Evangelicalism is a lot of what I know because that's what I was really, you know, I was involved in for a long time. Is it redeemable? Is it salvageable? I'll be completely honest with you. I debate that every day. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I, I, it's it's really hard. And, and, you know, I do think that it's salvageable. I think that um, there's a lot of ancient wisdom in these scribes and in the, in this book. And I mean, there's a lot of wisdom there and there's a lot of things that we can still learn from, but um, it, it definitely, it, it needs to be reimagined. And I am not trying to be blasphemous. Like I know that there are people out there that would say that I was being blasphemous, but I really believe that that's the nature of God. I think when we know better and we do better, that's evidence of God. That's what we call evolution. When you have 40 years ago, you know, people, which I'm 48 years old. I mean, so this is in my lifetime, like, or even maybe more recently, like when we used to burn crosses in people's yards, when we used to segregate school, like when we used to do those things and we don't do those things anymore, that's evidence of God. So when we're looking around the world being like, well, I don't, you know, show me God, like if you're real, if you're real, when humans do better, when they know better and they do better, that is God. That is the definition of God. So if we are still seeing the nature of God through the lens of this book and we are not open to any other interpretation, then I'm sorry, but I think it's stifling to the supernatural uh, intelligence. I do. Yeah. Yeah, that's very well said. I'm just speaking for myself. When I look at the Bible, it's the story of God working through his people. Mm -hmm. It's not a rule book. It's not, Mm -hmm. oh, well, the the scripture says this. And so, you know, this is for all people, all time, all situations. Like that's because that, like, it's like we don't, that's not how relationships work. And I, and if God is in relation with us, both individually and corporately, then relationships evolve, especially one like that where we're supposed to be changing those changes, you know, those changes for the better. Well, they should be for the better. And we should be improving through those. That's what healthy relationships look like. Absolutely. And, yeah. and the big thing too is, and, and I've said this, this is where I started, I jumped off the evangelical train and I started moving towards like deconstruction and all of that was, so the things that I was learning within the church in terms of like intolerance and not treating people who are like say LGBTQ plus well, those kinds of issues. I thought to myself, what kind of fruit is that bearing? Yeah. Like at the end of the day, like what kind of fruit is that bearing? That's bearing bad fruit. That's bearing negative fruit. That's hurting people. That's- but you know, we have these scriptures, these, these stick man scriptures that like kind of 
solidify what we're doing when we're doing things like that. Like the scripture that says like the word of God, you know, divides joint from marrow. It will divide brother to brother. Or like we were, you know, we always hung our hat on like the scriptures where Jesus is in the upper room. He's giving his, you know, his last supper. And like the disciples are like your mother and your brother are outside. And he's like, who are my mother? Who is my mother? Who's my brother? My mother and my brothers are the people in this room who are doing my work. So like we get into this group think of like, it, it doesn't matter if you love someone. It doesn't matter if you want to love someone. Like you have to toe this line. Even if it goes against your heart, even if you love your, your child because they're gay, you have to do it. It's church discipline. It's tough love. That's, that's not, that's not God. Yeah. And I remember that myself where, yeah, it was very much that hard line the truth or whatnot. But at the same time, so there is that divide, but what does that, what does that do? Number one. And number two, I'll be honest with you. I wonder how many people who are in those spaces believe truly in their hearts, believe that themselves. Right. I think of there's certain parts of the book where it's like you have this, public display of quote unquote sin, but then there's a subtext though of, oh well, your kid is sinning against someone innocent and apparently you know this. And yet that person hasn't been excommunicated from the church. <laughs> no. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Happens every day. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, do you really believe this or is it more we're trying to keep up appearances. And, and, and that's really the, the thing. I think sometimes scripture is used in such a way to exert control, to elevate the powerful and subjugate the powerless. Yeah. You know what? That time is over. Yeah. It, it, it's over. The day is over. So um, it's time to reimagine it, you know, uh, change or die. Honestly. Yeah. And and I understand like that the Bible says like God is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. That that means that the love of God is unchanging. But there are lots of examples in the Bible where God actually like negotiates. He negotiates with Job, he negotiates with Satan, he negotiates with Moses. He he negotiates with Lot. God is not some close minded entity. God is open to relationship. God is open to evolvement. God is open to pursuing love. And these constructs that we have in the American church, I, I'm just, I, I guess I'm just over it today, Jay. Like I'm just in a mood. I mean, just change <laughs> or die. Change yeah. or die. Yep. Like change or die. die or the yeah. American churches are going to be over burned mm-hmm. to the ground and the message will be n- no more relevant than like a gum in a gumball machine. Nobody will care. Change or die. Yeah. Have to keep up, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 When you wrote your book, would you say that that was the message you were looking to impart in terms of faith and spirituality? I don't really feel like I had a message to impart about like spirituality faith necessarily or spirituality. I was just trying to 
like paint a real picture. I was trying to paint a really vivid picture of, of how, of just how dark shit can get. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I was just kind of wondering because one of the things that stuck out to me was that as the novel continued, it seemed like in the mouths of a lot of the characters, there was sort of a longing for authenticity. Definitely. Like Stephanie. Okay. So I kind of wrote it. It was almost like a wizard of Oz. Like she meets friends along the way that pull her, pull her up and pull her through. And they're not like friends that you would necessarily want her to have. Like some of them are, I mean, but they get her through. Yeah. Right. I mean, they love her and they give her messages. Like, you know, uh, what's her name across the street? Like the mother, I mean, like, you know, there's people who give her messages that like, this doesn't have to be that way. It can get better. There is hope. There is a different way to see it, you know, and these, these are kind of unexpected friends really, and they, they get her through as people do sometimes, right? Yeah. Reasons like them. Yeah. And that was the thing that struck me like a lot of times, you know, and, and that's kind of how it can be sometimes where it's not, it's, it's not your eyes, your usual suspects. In this particular instance, like it's not necessarily the most super spiritual, super church going, super so on and so forth. It's like the, the person where like, oh yeah, are they really like, are they going to go to hell and da, 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 da. But, you know, but there's a lot of wisdom to be gathered from, from all kinds. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like, you're so glad Stephanie at least has like the few that she has. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, mm-hmm. and especially as she's going through different things in the book. That was one of the things that I felt was refreshing was the dialogue with her friends and her spending time with her friends and have, having s- some outlet from the craft that was happening in her life. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that that was really cool. Thank you. <laughs> I tried to give some relief. I mean, there were times where my editor would reach out and he would be like, Emily, you can't, you can't make the reader carry it. It's too heavy. It's too heavy. You got to take a rock out. We, we talked about like, we kind of put it into the picture of like carrying a backpack up a mountain full of rocks. And like, I put a lot on Stephanie's shoulders. Like she has little bitty shoulders and I put, I put a lot on her. I made her carry a lot of it. And I asked the reader, okay, I want you to carry this with me. I want you to carry that with me. And there were times in the writing where, you know, my editor would reach out and be like, you have to uh, lighten up. Like, this is a moment where you've got to lighten it up. The reader needs a break. The reader needs a payoff. The reader needs to take a rock out. I tried not to make the reader carry anything that was heavy in, in the fact that, like, I wouldn't explain why. Like, I wasn't trying to just make them hurt. Right. Was it wasn't gratuitous. Uh-uh. Right. Yeah. And, and that was the thing. Like, it didn't feel that way as a reader. That like it didn't feel gratuitous. It was definitely heavy. Like there are times where I had to like just kind of, kind of sit with it. And to be honest, like yeah, I almost cried. The empathy, you know, um, mm-hmm. and it felt that real. That is like you, you know you get sucked into to the story, and it's like you see these things, you see these things happen in real time. Like it's not like flashbacks, you know. Mm-hmm. Like these are these were happening, yeah. and it's like. A lot of stuff in the story I've never experienced myself. But then there's other things to where I can relate. But I do also know people who could relate to some of the heavier things in there. And either way, it was just like, I was like, oh, man, that hurts, you know? Again, it didn't feel gratuitous. It 
it felt like, okay, this feels real and we're going somewhere with it. I mean, like, I don't read a lot of um, the reviews of, of my book every once in a while. I'll sit down and kind of catch up on what the reviews say. And, you know, one of the things that I see kind of repeating in reviews is like, it hurts to read this. It hurts to read this. It hurts to read this. Well, does it hurt to read it or does it hurt to know it? Um, does it hurt to read it that it happens or does it hurt to actually think that these things might be happening in families? And, um, yeah, there's a difference, right? Oh, yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing. I mean, I've known enough people to know that these things happen. In addition, my father, he's been gone for, you know, about 15 years now. But when he was alive, he was in social services. And mm -hmm. he spent some time in uh, child protective services. And mm -hmm. just, you know, the things that he had to, that he had to see and things he had to deal with, it burned him out. Mm -hmm. And yeah, mm -hmm. he ended up having to transfer, tra transfer out. Yeah. So f I know for me personally, it wasn't so much of like, you know, oh, this can't happen because, oh, it definitely can. And then some. But seeing it through her eyes, that part was really difficult, you know, but it was realistic. It was real life. Things happen like that. And it didn't feel like it was just there for no reason. Yeah. So, but yeah, definitely. It, it's definitely a, um, you know, it's definitely a heavier read, um, but it's so good. Like, I really like, and, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, I have you on here, but like, like it really, it was an excellent book. Thank you. Thank you. It was a, it was, it was a, a good time writing it. That's awesome. Yeah. So overall, what is your vision in terms of what you want to see readers take away from, um, from the moon? I watched her. I want them to open up their, uh, their, understanding of sexual abuse. I want them to understand that not everybody is coming at it. You know, the, the Walters family, they're really actually like kind of doing their best. Don't you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I just want, I, I really don't have any, um, I guess this is what makes it true to like literary fiction in a way is that what I want to do is raise the conversation about how to protect the innocent. And I don't mean by more religion, you know, or more rules. I mean, how do we become kinder? Like, how do we become more empathetic? How do we become less imaging? Like, how do we undo it? How, if we admit that we've done it, yeah. what do we owe to the LGBT community, you know, that we've told untold damage? Like, people have lost lives, families. Like, how much damage have we done? Can we admit it? I guess that's what it, I guess that would be the message. Yeah. Can we admit it? And not that way, like not to shame. It's not to shame. It's just, are we willing to really like take a look at this and to, to admit these, what we've done? Yeah. And how are we going to go forward now? Hmm. Are we going to do it differently? So before you can go forward, you have to admit what's happening. Yeah. 
And that's, yeah, that's you, have, you have to be willing to look at it. And so like this one review on Amazon, it's from a, um, a church of Christ minister, like an ex international churches of Christ minister. And she's like, this is a caricature. You know, this is just a cartoon like of what we were. I put it down. I didn't even read it. And it's like, okay, fine. If you want to, if you want to continue that narrative, go ahead. But if you really do, like, this is not about being right. It's not about being wrong. Like, do you honestly want to be closer to the true nature of love and the true nature of God? And if you do, like, are you willing to sit in that uncomfortable space and just hear one story? This is one, one story. You're definitely right about that. So. Where can listeners go to buy the book? You can go anywhere. Um, you can go to Amazon, but I recommend you go to your local bookstore and ask them to order you a copy. Um, you can find me on Facebook. I'm Emily English Medley author. I'm on Twitter and Instagram too. There's Emily English Medley, uh, dot com from, you know, from the moon I watcher.com. Like it's not hard to find the book. I didn't go into it thinking this, but like then a couple of readers asked for it. So I recommend you read the trigger warning getting into, you know, um, take some breaks if you need to while you read it. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. I'll have a um, link to it in the show notes. Definitely use your local bookstores. Yeah. I, yeah, because they're, they're sort of a dying breed and yeah, you know, they're, but you know, the thing is, is that the, the local bookstores are such a resource and yeah, we want to support the ones that we still have. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so yeah, that's yeah. definitely, definitely important. EmilyEnglishMedley.com. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the, yeah. And the trigger map is on there too. Okay. Yeah. There was like a content warning on there. So I think it's important to know going in that. And I'm going to put one on the podcast episode as well, just, you know, so that people know going in that there are some heavy themes that, that might be triggering to them. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, but I would definitely say it's definitely worth the read and so good. And it's one that I would, that I definitely would recommend. You know, fiction, nonfiction. Um, and I'm just going to be really blunt here. Like in all of the interviews that I've done, all the podcasts, um, everybody wants they have a question. They're just dancing around it. They want to know without asking how much of this book is true. Everyone, I mean, that's what people want to know. How much of this book is true? And what I would say to that is that the details in the book that are true will always remain with me. Um, but moving forward in I want readers to know that a lot of women have written their stories under the guise of fiction. It's happened for years. That's what we've been doing. And we are doing it for fear of retaliation, fear of shame, fear of judgment, you know, um, and there, you know, the book is uh, marketed as fiction. It will stay marketed as fiction. And the details of how I came to all of this will, will live and die with me. But I have been given permission by my family to admit like that, uh, that a lot of the themes in the book I wrote because I know them. Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote because we know them. 
And to that end, I hope that it makes the story more palatable. I think maybe thinking like, Oh, how did an author come up with this? Like, like, have you ever heard, have you ever read the book push by Sapphire by any chance? I have not. I have known going in like, Oh, that's going to be really heavy. heavy. Yeah. And so, okay. So my book has been kind of likened to the book push. And so I, you know, I read the book push and I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this woman is writing these things. And so like when you come, come across those moments and from the moon, I watched her like, just keep in mind that authors write what they know. Oh, they yeah. write what they know. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not any different. I have wondered that. But at the same time, I was like, I'm not going to ask because, it, <laughs> you know, in the back of my head, it's like, and I think it's coming from being a creative person. Mm-hmm. I know in the back of my head, on some level, this is, this is real. The buried abortion stories, they're going to come out more and more. Yeah. I'll put it this way. I've known a lot of people through my life and that kind of thing happens. Yeah. Yes. Authors write what they know. People create things that they know. Yeah. All right. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about the book and about your, you know, being an author. You too. I really appreciate your time and you having me on here. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to Potstirer Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I invite you to listen to the other episodes and subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Prime, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're really into this show, please give it five stars on your podcatcher of choice, and leave a review. That's just so other people are more likely to check out the show. I'd really appreciate it. Tell your friends and family as well. Go to podstarpodcast.com for new episodes, merch, and more. And I enjoy tweeting a lot, so follow me on Twitter at podstarcast. And as I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, We are giving away a signed copy of From the Moon I Watched Her. Enter to win by going on Twitter to the Potstirer Podcast Twitter feed at PotstirerCast and like and retweet the pinned post. Make sure you do so by Friday, September 9th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. The drawing will be on Saturday, September 10th and the winner will be announced thereafter. Again, U.S. residents only. I'm Jay Poole. Let's fight for America's future because freedom is not free.